don't take half measures either. Don't agree to be there, but standing in the back, not participating. Paul said sin should not even be named among us in Ephesians 5.3. This would kind of be like attending a homosexual wedding, but assuaging our conscience by saying, you didn't really approve. All the way from Bokota Village in Limpopo, South Africa, we bring you Missionary Minds, where you can learn about family, church history, biblical worldview issues, and of course, missions, all from the mind of a real-world missionary of almost 20 years. Buti Paul, I'm so thankful for the families where there's a godly lineage that spans back generations. But everyone has to start somewhere. Many believers who have Christianity as a fresh influence in their families are often confronted with disorienting and confusing family practices as they navigate life. And that's why in today's episode, we would like to know, how should a Christian respond to pagan family traditions? Over to you, Fundisi. First, the story. Samuel Crowther was a Nigerian who, in the 19th century, became the first African bishop of the Anglican Church. And his conversion story was astounding in its own right. A story, by the way, that you can read about still in Jesse Page's biography about him, which you can actually read for free on PDF. Crowther tells the story of two young Nigerian men who were persecuted because of their conversion to Christ and their refusal to perform various burial and heathen customs. In fact, they said they would rather die than to dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the heroic men said, quote, I never refused to perform my duty. But as for turning back to heathen worship, that is out of my power. For Jesus has taken charge of my heart and padlocked it, and the key is with him. End quote. I love that terminology. Padlock. My heart is padlocked to Christ, and the key is with him. In other words, all of my devotion is to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of spirit, that's the kind of attitude, really, that all Christians have to have. I'll do my earthly family duty, sure, as far as Scripture allows, but my heart is padlocked to Christ. And our topic today is meant to give courage to fearful Christians in situations where they're faced really with great temptation, and especially for those that are first-generation Christians. First-generation Christians are the first Christians in their family. That means there's no godly Christian parents or godly Christian grandparents. They're the first ones. And they think to themselves, where do I go? What should I do? How, How should I respond to my family that wants me to participate with matters contrary to Scripture. We're going to try to answer that question today. Samuel Crowther summarized that so beautifully or captured it so beautifully. My heart is padlocked to Christ. I love that. And, Buddy Paul, a lot can be said about the people who 
are nomads, as it were, and think of themselves as self-sufficient and coming from nowhere. And that's another extreme. Maybe it can be dealt with another day, but here it can't be stressed enough how many people struggle with the tension with families around what they're to do and how they're to go about life. And the example you brought up there with um, burial practices, funerals, weddings are times it comes up. And this is common. Please give us uh, an example, a real life example of what it, uh, some areas where this is uh, manifested for a first generation Christian today. Let's just use Tabo as an example. Tabo's our illustration. And let's say Tabo is a Christian living in Africa. And Tabo has a problem. And his problem is not that he professes to be a Christian. Many people in sub-Saharan Africa claim to be Christians. No, Tabo's problem is that he's a true Christian. He's the kind of Christian that actually reads and believes and obeys the Bible. And this really is a big problem. And so here's the situation. Let's say, uh, suppose his grandmother died recently and his family plans on performing a number of uh, burial rituals at the funeral. And of course, we know that these can take many different forms and in different Uh, African subcultures, and not just in Africa, all around the world. How is he to address this? Because Tabo's family wants him to participate. What should Tabo do? And really what makes the situation particularly difficult is that Tabo's parents may very well call themselves Christians. They probably even had a pastor preach the funeral. But their worldview of God in Christ is not comprehensive. In fact, it's compartmentalized. They can easily follow Christian customs at one moment and then shift to their traditional non-Christian customs at the next moment. But Tabo's not this kind of Christian. And I say, quote unquote, Christian. He wants to honor Christ in all things. And his Christian worldview is holistic, it's thorough, it's extensive, it's all-embracing. If we could have Tabo here right now, it would be like an umbrella covering everything he does, the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ controls his finances, his entertainment, his family, his job, his church, his diet, his education, his marriage, everything. The Lordship of Christ is over all of Tabo's life, and he wants to do what honors the Lord Jesus. He's not a compartmentalized Christian where he can play the Christian on these particular days and then play the non-Christian these particular days. He is all in. And that would be one example, Carney, of, of the situation we're trying to unravel. We're trying to unpack what should Tabo do in this particular situation? What is scripture have to say to him and how can it help him Mm. and i think you put it perfectly many people who don't have this sort of background won't be able to understand how vexing it is for tabo when he is being taught well and he feels i just want to submit to christ in everything and christ says this and i'll go this way 
but he's dealing with people who, and this is where I love how you put it, compartmentalize their faith. And they say, this is how we do it here, but that's how we do it there. So are there particular scripture passages or parts of the Bible we can go to which touch on Tabo's situation? I appreciate how you always do this, Carney. Let's go to the scripture, right? Sola Scriptura. One of the five solas, the five calling cards of the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Solus Christus, Sola Fide, and Soli Deo Gloria. The first one is Sola Scriptura, which means that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Oh, that the Lord would give us more Christians who are quick to say, what does the Bible say first? Yes, we can look at church history. Yes, we can look at examples. But what does the Bible say, Sola Scriptura? Now, just one side point. Remember that Sola Scriptura doesn't mean we only need information found in the Bible. We need all kinds of information outside the Bible. We need to learn the alphabet. We need to learn how to type. We need to learn how to change the oil in our car. We need to learn how to cook biscuits. We're not going to find out those things in Scripture. What Sola Scriptura means is that when it comes to faith and practice, the Bible is the only special revelation that we need. We might call this the sufficiency of Scripture. So let's go to some passages. The first one I think of would be Matthew 10 and the words of Jesus. Beginning in verse 34, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. What that means is that those that truly want to follow Christ better be prepared not to be invited over to the next family reunion. And we understand, yes, the gospel brings communion with Christ, but at the same time, it often brings conflict with family. That means it brings contention with uncle so-and-so, and and it brings dissension with auntie so-and-so. And Jesus warned us of this. It happened to him. It's happened all throughout church history. It will happen again today, so be forewarned. And this is why we need to make this clear in our evangelism to Tabo. I mean, we need to say things like this to Tabo even before he's converted. We need to quote to him Matthew 10, 37, Whosoever loves father or mother more than me cannot be my disciple. Just so you know, this is what you're getting into. This is the lordship of Christ. In my own particular setting, I've found it almost impossible for professing Christians in our setting here in Bokota Village and in Limpopo to say no to the plethora of funerals on the Lord's Day. Uh, They will often miss church. 
and many other Christian gatherings so as not to offend family. When they came to Jesus, this is in Matthew chapter 12, because this is the contrast of the one who says, hey, I I can't miss the funeral or I can't miss this particular burial ritual. Let's not forget that when they came to Jesus and they said to him, hey, Jesus, your family wants you. Jesus looked around at the believers and he said, this is my family. Who is my mother? Jesus said, or who are my brothers? And what that means is, after conversion, our allegiance changes. Yes, we're still to love parents. Yes, we're still to honor parents. But our allegiance is much different. And I can imagine some pushback here. They might say, well, Paul, you're not a first-generation Christian. You don't understand my particular world. You don't know what it's like. And in one sense, I say true. I'm not a first-generation Christian. I'm a second-generation Christian. But at the same time, I'd say, I think I do understand in a sense. In fact, I probably made just as much sacrifices departing from family as a missionary or even far more sacrifices than many first-generation Christians in our setting. I've missed 17 years of funerals over the years. I've missed 17 years of weddings with my family. I've missed 17 years of parties and Christmas gatherings. Our family returns every four years or so for a couple of months uh, to, to visit family. But I say that because that's the price of following Christ. We have to make sacrifices because our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. I think that one word you used captures the essence of what you're addressing here. It's allegiance. And the allegiance that Tabo is supposed to have is to Christ. And he needs to be taught uh, about that. That's what you're speaking of. And many people can come with different stories and different uh, challenges that really pull on our heartstrings. And the stories do do that. But we need to ultimately be founded on scripture. And so um, if we're looking at different examples, can Christ relate to this, uh, this draw? Can Christ relate to this pressure? Yes, Christ can relate to this. He has been touched, as the scripture says, with the feelings of our infirmities. Let's look at one passage in Luke 2, where Jesus really showed us what it looks like to favor God over family. Now, remember, Jesus is a boy here. And starting in verse 48, it says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I mean, isn't this exactly what Tabo's family is essentially saying to him? In other words, why are you treating us this way? Don't you care about our family? I mean, this is what Jesus' parents were essentially saying to him. 
and what Tavo's parents are saying to him and what many parents are saying to first-generation Christians today. Why are you treating us this way? Don't you care about our family? Don't you care about our culture? You, you make a profession to Christ and now you're angering the uncles and you're angering the family. You think you're better than us. Uh, don't you know you'll never be like them? You'll, you'll never be a true Christian. We know your background. And now you've turned your back on your own flesh and blood. And I think Tabo would be wise to answer the way Jesus did. The first thing Jesus did was he, he answered respectfully. He didn't lash out. He didn't return evil for evil. He spoke the truth and he spoke the truth in love. He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? I think that's a great pattern that we can follow from Christ. And then also, I would say, follow Christ in that Jesus showed that his allegiance to God and to his word always usurped his allegiance to family. In fact, I would say today, we ought to make these lines so clear that they should, after a little bit of time, not even ask us anymore. Uh, I mean, we should be surprised if our family continues to ask us to be a part of our particular situation because we've made it so clear in the, back, in the background. We've made it so clear previously. Uh, I live in a village where I've been to literally hundreds of funerals. I enjoy going to Tsonga funerals. I preach at many Tsonga funerals. I don't think I've ever been asked to participate at a Tsonga funeral on a Sunday. And I find that interesting because they know what my answer is going to be. I've made it so clear in the beginning, they know it's not even worth it to ask him. And by the way, did you notice the questioning and amazement from Jesus at the end of this verse in verse 49, where he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's house? It was as if Jesus had said, have I not been clear enough? I mean, you should have known. I mean, it should be the goal of every Christian that their family knows, A, that our love for family is intense, but also, B, that our devotion to Christ over unchristian practices is so clear and so immovable that it is pointless to even ask us anymore. Amen. And brother, you've taken us through how Christ understands this situation and has been in a, a similar sort of setting with his parents looking for him. And you gave us three points there. You said that uh, first he spoke respectfully. So we've taken that. And second, he showed where his allegiance was. Uh, those are very helpful. Could you give us more boots on the ground examples here? Yeah, let me give you a, just a couple more examples that come to mind. One would be uh, we've had counseling times with a, a Tsonga Christian lady uh, in our church. She's had some uh, physical and emotional problems, and they've really taken a toll on her, uh, on her body and on her family and on her job. And she really hasn't improved much recently. And so her family urged her to visit the local Sangoma, which would be the witch doctor, and uh, follow some of the rituals that he recommended. And she at first refused, and the family insisted. And then 
she eventually relented and and then she was racked with guilt on top of her other problems because she had succumbed to something that was evil it would have been better for her to say at the very beginning acts 5 29 we ought to obey god rather than men another example i think of my teammate who's doing a lot of evangelistic work in the villages and recently there's been a number of zcc participants that have been coming to the sunday worship time and as they've continued to come the zcc church has said to them hey if you continue to participate this you better realize that you're not going to get any help from us when it comes to funerals or these other activities Uh, if you continue other family members might say if you do not follow this particular wedding custom or a particular funeral custom you will be ostracized if uh, we have this particular party or activity where the child is supposed to wear something around his waist or there's a particular amulet or some kind of custom that is uh, pagan you need to follow these and if you don't you're definitely going to be ostracized from the family again these happen all the time all throughout history all throughout the world we have to run back to acts 5 29 we ought to obey god rather than men mm-hmm. and buddy paul please um what would your counsel be to tabo in this situation well my counsel to tabo would be that he should respectfully but firmly tell his family that he cannot participate in any African traditional religious ceremonies that in any way contradict what the Bible says. Of course, we're not talking about African customs that are beautiful. There are hundreds of beautiful African customs, but if they contradict what the Bible says, I cannot participate with these. And he ought to tell them why. Don't just say it. I would view it as an evangelistic opportunity. Don't take half measures either. Don't agree to be there, but standing in the back, not participating. Paul said sin should not even be named among us in Ephesians 5.3. This would kind of be like attending a homosexual wedding, but assuaging our conscience by saying you didn't really approve. In other words, I, I went to the homosexual quote-unquote wedding Uh, but i didn't approve i went to this traditional practice but i didn't really approve you were just there well being there was implicit approval this would be like the former muslim who was converted to christ let's say but yet he still attends the mosque and he performs all the islamic ceremonies but then he says underneath his breath but i really don't mean it or my prayers are not to isa Uh, They are uh, not to Allah, they are to uh, Jesus. I'm just using the word Isa, and again, I don't have a problem with using the term Isa. But if you say, I'm going to participate in all the categories, but I don't really mean it, that's kind of in following with a particular movement popular in missions methods called the insider movement, which means we can get more converts if we say to the Muslims, believe in christ follow christ but you can still continue in a lot of your old religious practices and yet remain a christian not so and then i would encourage taba with first peter 1 18 which says knowing that you were ransomed 
from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. That word futile means useless. It means lacking in content. What that means is before you came to Christ, you need to recognize there were empty things in your past. There were pagan things in your past. There were things that maybe your uncles or your aunties or your parents taught you that were futile. Peter understood that. That's why he's writing to the people here and saying, hey, believer, you had ways in your past that were futile and they were inherited from your forefathers and and you were ransomed from that and you need to leave those. You need to discard those. You say, well, but my, my family is so smart and they're so wise. How can you say they're futile? Yeah, that word futile, same word used in 1 Corinthians 3.20, where it says the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Which means even wise people have a lot of ways of thinking futilely, in an empty way, in a useless way. We need to, we need to leave those off and now follow Christ wholeheartedly. May the Lord give Tabo and all of us. I know it's difficult. May the Lord give Tabo and all of us courage to stand firm in the faith, even among the culture and family members that we love so much. Hmm. And what would you say to someone who is listening to this maybe and is racked with guilt? It's very possible that there could be someone listening who maybe just last weekend was at a ceremony drinking blood or the weekend before that someone else was getting initiated as a witch um, and they profess to be a Christian. Now they're, they're feeling torn. They're getting burdened down. Uh, that's someone who's deeper in. What would you say to someone like that? Run to Jesus, brother, for forgiveness. Repent. Uh, we know from 1 John 1, 9 that uh, the Lord Jesus is quick to forgive us. He's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that would be the first way I'd say recognize that as wrong and confess it to the Lord Jesus, but let's not stop there. Like, let's put some practical things in our way. One would be, you might want to consider apologizing to the very people that you were with. You were a bad testimony. You were participating in something that you should not have participated in. Tell your family, tell your friends, I cannot do this. Here are the biblical reasons. And then I would say, put up some accountability partners with you. Have some people in your way that say, hey, I'm tempted. With this, I don't want to do it. Come alongside me. Keep me uh, accountable. Maybe, maybe go with me when I talk to my family. I'm going to have a, a threefold cord is not easily broken. I'm going to have another friend or two with me so that I can talk to my family and they're going to give me strength. When my hands hang low, I'm going to have brothers or sisters come alongside me and lift up my hands so that I can have strength and encouragement when I try to carry out this, this very difficult activity. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And backtracking to someone else who's maybe a little further back from the situation, you mentioned earlier that someone should not even be getting involved in a way that affirms what's going on. What about someone who is getting involved in a neutral activity, but it has some of those elements tagged on? I think about, let's say, a a young man or a young lady who's about to get married And as they're talking, as the families and coming together, 
then they say, oh, there's this little uh, thing that you have to do, or this signifies this. Uh, should they say, I'm not going to talk to my family at all wholesale? I'm just going to throw my family out, run and get married in a courthouse? Or uh, do they try work through it? I would say work through it, especially in the situation you gave where they're about to get married. I mean, let's put all the cards on the table early on instead of, I don't do this. Like, let's talk this through. This is why we can't do this. Or it might be, why, what exactly is this practice that we are participating in? Okay, it's X. All right. Why are we doing X? Well, we are doing X because of this. Okay, this is what the Bible says. And we just want you to know, again, be respectful. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Jesus, right? He was respectful even when he kind of pushed back against his parents. Be respectful, being honoring to your parents and to your family members, but say, look, we cannot participate in it because it is contrary to what the Bible says. Here is what the Bible says. They might even come back and say, wow, we never, we never realized that before. Now, if there's anger or bitterness that comes from that, then you might have to take um, a stronger stand. I also want to emphasize, Carney, because you brought up a, a good point. It's not so much um, participating in a lost and fallen world. It's the idea of approval. I think that's the key word. The Bible tells us that if we didn't want to be around unbelievers ever, we'd have to leave this world. So I'm not saying, oh, I'm not going to work at this particular place because they have unbelievers there and they, they do these particular sins. But with each situation, again, it's going to be the situational perspective. You're going to have to gauge this each time. Are you communicating approval with your participation? Here's one example. I heard a evangelical leader in the U.S. He was asked if he should ever, or this particular Christian asking the question, if they should ever attend a homosexual marriage and i'm putting marriage in uh quotation marks because uh there's no such thing as a homosexual marriage it is a mirage uh, should they attend and this evangelical leader said no but i would go to the afterwards reception slash party and i'm saying like that like makes no sense what would be your reasoning for not attending the marriage well being there would show approval well in the same way going to the party would be showing approval as well you're celebrating they're celebrating something that they see as good you see this all the time with athletes and it's just disappointing when you see so few standing firmly but you know they're given a particular jersey that is flaunting homosexuality which the bible clearly says is an abomination but why why would i uh put that on and in a sense approve of it if they had a jersey that said, um, I love racism, no one would wear that jersey today because it's one of the few sins that actually everyone pretty much hates. Or they would never wear a jersey that said, I love pedophilia. You know, one of the few sins left that our whole world disagrees with. But even there, that's uh, slightly disagreed with now. That's changing even now. But when you wear the flag, the rainbow flag, that is essentially saying, I love homosexuality. So that would be kind of a, a, a more modern example. And it's the same thing here. If what you're doing is communicating that you appreciate,
approve of it, then you ought not to participate if it is in contradiction to the word of God. Mm-hmm. And let's take this one step back. Thanks for those thoughts. So we're living in a more globalized world than we were in the past. Very few of our listeners would be in their place of origin, as it were, where they're actually from. You're in South Africa. uh, You're from Wisconsin. I'm here. I'm from Zimbabwe. I was born and raised there. And many of our listeners are in similar circumstances. So we have connections back home and we may be in circumstances where we find ourselves providing home support and sending money back home, particularly during big events and happenings in the family. For someone who is maybe faced with a situation where they're sending money back for a funeral or for a wedding, and they know that their family sometimes gets involved in these practices, these pagan practices, which are against the word of God, how should they think through that? Should they maybe wholesale throw it off or look along a spectrum of sorts? What are, what are some principles you could think of? If, if we never want to support, we, we can't say uh, if the money will in any way touch any kind of sin. I mean, if that's the case, then we might say, I can't fly this airline because this airline uses it for unjust purposes. I mean, I use Apple. I use Mac. I know that those funds that I'm giving them are used for ungodly purposes in some ways. I don't think the Bible forbids us from doing that kind of thing. And I don't think by sending them money for the funeral at large would be showing approval for that particular, whatever it might be, ceremony. So now if you start doing that, then you're going to have, how can you even live in this world? I can't drive my Ford. I can't use Apple. I basically can't use any product. I can go to Chick-fil-A basically because I know they have a Christian ethos. But besides that, I mean, how do you even live? I don't think that's, I don't think that's what scripture's after. I think the, the idea here is if you are approving of their message. And again, it's going to take the situational perspective. It's going to, you're going to have to deal with each one. There's not a quick little formula that you can punch in with each situation. You're going to have to work through it. I would say the closer you are that touches approval to that activity, then the more you should be inclined not to do it. So I don't think driving a Ford or using an Apple is showing approval. But there might be on the continuum, on the spectrum, you might be in a situation where you say, look, I'm working for a pornography company. Well, that would be kind of an easy one. Like, I can't do that. So I can work for Ford. I can't work for the pornography company. But then you have now somewhere in between, you have a marketing guy who works for X company that is not godly. And it can tr- encur- encourage sin. Like, what do you do with that? Those are decisions that we'll all have to make using patterns of scripture. I even think about the passage in First uh, Corinthians and and Romans, where the Bible is not opposed to them buying meat, even though it had previously 
been offered to idols. Like it wasn't tainted. They, they said you couldn't, it's not like you, they said you could not eat of it. You were allowed to eat it because you know that idols are, are nothing. So that would be one particular principle, although there might be times that you uh, ought not to purchase the meat. That's very helpful, brother. And particularly in drawing out the complexity that exists in these various matters. And so thank you for giving your input there. And having said that, what a treat, Mfundisi. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate it and subscribe to keep posted with more upcoming content. Feel free to share this episode with someone who might find it interesting and submit any questions you may want answered in a future podcast. You can email those questions to paulslayline at gmail.com. You can also visit betweentwocultures.com for other resources like this. I'm your host, Yamikani Katunga, and until next time, that's it for Missionary Minds.